You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This is A.P. Weber. It's good to have you with me. On this episode, The Seed of the Fay Tree, Chapter 3. If you haven't listened to Parts 1 and 2, or all seven parts of Cascade Rock, might I suggest that you go back and listen to those episodes before continuing. Last time, Ven and Darl's Hafkin Band found themselves in hot water for a number of reasons with the new sheriff of Cascade Rock. With more debts accruing, it's time for the brothers to head out into the Valley of the Gods once more. And in this episode, they will. Before we get started, I'd like to encourage you to go to apweber.com, where you'll find more of this kind of storytelling. That's A-P-W-E-B-E-R.com. And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Seed of the Fay Tree. Chapter 3. red in the west when they all gathered upon the deck of Darl's little houseboat. His mother and old man Gart had rowed over with Ven. Now Darl greeted them, leaning against his door frame with his tusky smile. Can't let you in, he said. Don't want anyone to know I'm harboring a fugitive in here. They could see Cal Riddlemoot seated at the table behind him. Char patted his cheek then kissed him as she pushed past into the kitchen. Guess she knows the password, old man Gart said, and leaned in as if he were going to kiss him as well. Darl juked the old man with a guffaw and took him under his arm to lead him in. Gart was considerably shorter than Darl, stout and bearded. How long has it been since you've come to visit me, old man? Darl said with a grin. If it's been more than eight days... Gart said, holding up his hands, palms out. I have no way of knowing. Darl laughed again. It was an old joke, one that Gart had been telling since the boys were small, and almost certainly before that. Gart's most prominent hapkin feature was his hands. He had only three, albeit thick, fingers on each of them. The idea that he needed all eight of his digits to count was as absurd a notion as any Ven could think of. Gart was the most learned person he knew. He was kind as well. Though Ven had only the vaguest memory of his father and Darl none at all, Gart stood in for that role and Ven felt fortunate of the fact. With no one left at the threshold to greet him, Ven let himself in and closed the door behind him. He considered the deadbolt lock momentarily, decided he was being too paranoid, but said it anyway. Once drinks had been offered and accepted, ale and tea, the halfkin settled around the table in the lamplight. The map lay open upon it. 
the map. The precious artifact that was at once the source of all the troubles the Halfkin were suffering and their hope to overcome them. Perhaps not merely to overcome, but to thrive even. It depicted the mountain belly in stylized images and runic script penned by some ancient chronicler. How and why Baron Redway, the Lord of Teeth, had come to possess the map was a mystery, but how the Halfkin now had it was not. Darl stole it from him and fled to Cascade Rock, the civilized world's gateway to the belly of the gods. Darl was not renowned for his wisdom or prudence, nor, indeed, for his ability to resist any impulse that occurred in him. Here, Ven said, touching his finger to the sketch of a tree that seemed to be emerging from a hole somewhere in the northeastern region of the forest surrounding Dragonfire Lake at the center of the belly. Gart placed his spectacles on his nose and squinted down at the map. He frowned. There's not much in the way of directions, he said, and then began translating the runes by sight. River on the left. Keep Keldar in view. That's this mountain here. Close when Keldar warms a woods. Something about molten rock. Lava. A warning, I guess. Tell them what she said to you, Char prompted. She? Darl said with raised brows. A goddess, I think. She reached out to me. Priceless is my treasure, she said, but she wants me to do something for her. I don't like the sound of priceless treasure. Means you can't sell it. Ben stepped back from the table, ran a hand through his shaggy hair. I know, I know, but she, I can't get her out of my mind. The humans. Call them regular folk. We're common folk. We're just as human as they are, Gart said. That's debatable, Ven muttered. But fine, the regular folk. They don't worship gods. It's just the emperor for them. When I saw Raywin, I knew she was one of our deities. Same with this one from the vision. She looked at me like, like I belonged with her. I can't just ignore that. Everyone was silent. Finally, Darl said, Priceless treasure could mean it's really valuable too, right? Let's be realistic, Char said, setting her stern eyes on Ben. With Cal's little scheme, we are in a tenuous position. Do you feel that this goddess has something that could help us? Maybe a weapon to defeat Redway, or at least something of enough value to get us out of the Red? Ben turned up a hand and sighed. I, honestly, I don't know. Darl scowled. Actually, he said, now that I think about it, this is good. There's something here. What? Ben said, turning his head to look at his brother sidelong. Yeah. Darl started nodding. Yeah, I like this. We're going out there. 
A small, grateful smile began to form at the corner of Ven's mouth. What about Redway? Char said, and Ven's smile faded. Tell us exactly what you saw. Ven took a deep, steadying breath. He broke my concentration with the goddess, tore me away from her. When I entered into communion with the forest, I'd never felt anything quite like it. I was more connected than I've ever been. My spirit reached out further than I'd ever been able to before. That was because of the goddess. There's so much potency in those woods out there. It's spilling out like... He paused here, the idea solidifying in his mind. Just like the waterfall. Neat, Darl said, cheerfully confused. That's, um, good, right? It felt right. Being with her felt right. I don't know how to explain it. But then I felt him, his eyes looking at me. I couldn't feel the goddess anymore. He pulled me across the landscape, far from the Dawn's Edge Mountains, far from the woods of this forest, to wherever he was. I saw a copse of trees burning, choked on the smoke, felt the flames. He looked right at me as if he summoned me. Then he turned, mounted his horse, rallied his troops, and left, like he had some terrible purpose. He is coming, Gart said solemnly. But how did he do that? Ven said. The crown, said Char. Gart gave her a nervous, sidelong look. No one knows for sure what powers are invested in the crown of teeth. But some have speculated that it turns our lore against us. Your unique ability to commune with the forest is a gift, Char said. But the crown may allow him to spy on you when you do it. Let him, Darl said. Cascade Rock is unassailable when it wants to be. So then let's make sure it wants to be, Char said, and gestured at Riddlemoot, who had been listening in respectful silence. Now it's his debt we must cover. It's time you ventured back out into the Valley of the Gods to seek what fortune you can find. If it is treasure, we'll buy our way into the town's good graces. If it is some powerful artifact, like Raywin's harpoon, perhaps it will defend us against the crown's magic. And if all else fails, we'll have the map to bargain with. Here, she turned to Riddlemoot. Kel, can you forge a copy of this map? Riddlemoot stared wide-eyed at her momentarily, and then said, Really? I, I mean, yes, I can copy it perfectly. I believe it. That will be your penance for your foolishness. First, we'll need a truncated version for my sons to follow. But after that, we need you to employ every ounce of your lore craft. Gart, you'll work with Cal to be sure he doesn't miss anything. So we give Redway the forgery? Darl said, squinting his brow. He'll know. We'll give him the original, if it comes to that. Won't assuage his fury, Gart said. Maybe, maybe not. It's our best bargaining chip. Under the right circumstances, it could be the perfect move. Darl shrugged. That's why you're the boss, Mom. Then turned to his brother. Let's get started. First, 
will need a boat. A fisherman with prominent ear and nose hair sat on the pier next to his boat, detangling his nets. When Darl's broad shadow fell on him, he looked up, shivered, and seemed to consider jumping into the lake. Darl cracked his knuckles, and Ven scratched at his jaw with a vicious glare. You owe us, old man, Darl said, fist in palm. I owe you, the fisherman squealed, pointing a knobby finger at the afkin. Where's my cut of the loot? I came back for you. Yeah, but not really, Ven said. We saw you and we got back to port, you shady rogue, Darl snarled. I was coming back. You left us to die. The Leviathan. Darl lurched forward and the old man proved himself sprier than expected by leaping to his feet away from the big halfkin. But Ven and Darl stood between him and escape. Darl grinned with malice and tilted his neck, cracking his vertebrae. Then put a hand on Darl's chest. Hold on, let's let him explain himself. The fisherman, wide-eyed, opened his mouth but shut it again. He shrugged. The Leviathan, he managed to say again. Darl's shoulders relaxed. Yeah, he makes a good point. But still. What do you want? The fisherman pleaded. We're going back out, Ven said. The fisherman's eyes went wide again. No, no, I'm not going back out there with you. We're not asking you to. We just want to rent your boat. Rent? On credit, Ven said. Credit? The fisherman said. His whole body sagged in defeat. Yeah, Darl said. We're good for it. The fisherman just lifted a hand in a resigned gesture, flicking it toward the vessel. With transportation secured, the brothers turned to other preparations. We don't know how long we're going to be out there, Fen said. Best to be well provisioned. And armed, Darl added, looking grim. Ven considered his brother then. He had seen Darl brawl before, even wield weapons with some skill, but knowing, as he did now, that Darl had fought in Redway's army of brigands made him seem more dangerous than he had been before. Had he killed people in the service of Redway? He tried not to think about it, knowing that if he brought it up, it would only spark a quarrel. Weapons, he said instead. Yes, that's a good idea. I have some options back at the camp, but I'll have to sneak them through the gate, I'm sure. You? I still have friends at the mill. Someone will loan me an axe. Then huffed a doubtful laugh. <laughs> you sure about that? Darl looked offended. Yeah, I'm sure. Fine. This time we'll each be responsible for our own provisions. If you want to eat millet while we're out there, that's your prerogative. You know, it turns out it's not that bad. To each their own, Ven said and set off. I'll get a lantern, Darl called after him. And a rope. Ven waved back at him without turning around.
On the appointed morning, they met at the dock. What is that? Ben said. What? My wagon? Great, right? Where did you get it? I had Amadis throw it together for me. Compact, but with big wheels so it won't catch on roots and the like. Uh-huh, Ven muttered, circling around behind the little cart. He lifted up the tarp covering its contents. Inside, he found an axe, a sack of grain, a lantern, a flask of oil, and a spool of rope. He dropped the tarp and scowled at his brother. What? Darl said, brows askew. What, what? Ven said. Since when? Since when what? Ven folded his arms. You got everything you said you'd get. Yeah? Darl said. What's wrong with that? All right. How about this? Are any of these supplies going to get us in trouble when we get back? Darl threw up his arms and spun around as if by the force of his own scoffing. He took a step or two away from his brother, then turned back. Nothing's good enough for you. You can't be happy for one damn moment. Who'd you steal this from, Darl? No one. I don't buy it. If it wasn't easy, you wouldn't have done it. Fine, Darl shouted. Mom helped me. Happy? Ben looked down at the planks beneath his feet, then turned up his eyes sheepishly. No, he said. Darl considered him, nodding. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And what did you bring? You got your bow? You got a little sword or something? What else you got? Ven sighed. <sighs> All right. I'm sorry. We're off on the wrong foot. He swung his pack around and loosed the clasps. I got some cured meat, some of this hard flatbread, flint, what else? He rummaged around some more. You got jerky? Darl said. A sad expression drew the corners of his mouth down to reveal his tusky incisors. Ben tried a smile. I'll tell you what, you share your millet with me, and I'll share my jerky. It's oats this time, Darl said. Darl rode, and Ben manned the till, because that seemed like the right division of labor. Once out of the high-walled harbor, they hoisted the sails and steered toward the north shore of Dragonfire Lake, where they stayed close to the reedy shallows as the fisherman had done on their last outing. Other fishing vessels skimmed around the lake, some staying as close to the shore as they were, while others hurried out to the deep water and then back to the safety of the cove. The brothers watched the latter with something like awe. They do this every day, Darl said. I watch them from my deck. You wouldn't believe how much fish they pull in a single haul. Why doesn't the Leviathan follow them back to the harbor? Ben mused. Don't know, Darl shrugged. Maybe it doesn't care if people fish on the lake. Ben nodded. Yeah, maybe they're all just superstitious. They left us alone until we came out of the temple with Raywin's spear. Still... I'm not going out there again if I can help it. Darl agreed with a grunt, and they slipped on along the leafy shore. As the day wore on, they saw fewer and fewer other fishing vessels, until they passed what they were sure was the last one. 
A dour-looking man frowned out at them from his boat and raised a solemn hand, meant both as a greeting and a farewell. Be right back, Darl called over to him with a grin. His voice echoed over the lapping water sounds and dissolved into the quiet. They went on. You get a better view of the peaks out here, don't you? Darl remarked idly, then seemed to have a sharper thought. Which one's Keldar? Then put his hand to his brow and squinted up at the white caps. He pointed. That's him. Huh. Big one. Should be easy to keep in view. He's a god too, or so the map makes it seem. Nice. Darl said in that cheerful way he often did when remarking on one of his brother's special interests that he himself did not share. It alarmed then somewhat Darl's total disregard and lack of reverence for deities of clearly demonstrated power. But that went with the territory when it came to Darl. It was hard to tell if he was brave or foolish, but either way, it made him effective at the sorts of endeavors he pursued. Again, he thought of his brother's violence in Redway's army. It was something he'd need to clear up, but he didn't relish the thought. They had time now, so he took a breath to steel himself for what would likely be an argument. What's that? Darl said before Ven could speak. You see that? He was looking south, across the lake, toward a formation of tall, narrow, bare-rocked crags emerging from the trees at the foot of the mountains. They were miles away, but Ven and Darl both, long ago, realized they possessed a far-sighted vision beyond what most, even some halfkin, were capable of. Those are on the map, I think, Ven said, removing the forgery from his coat pocket and opening it to compare. Yeah, but do you see that? Darl said, craning his neck in the direction of the crags, as if examining something small up close. Ben positioned himself closer to his brother and looked out. There! Darl exclaimed. Did you see that? Ben did see it. His heart skipped. A great winged beast emerged from the low-lying mist clinging to the forest below the crags. It beat its wings and soared, circling the rocky pillars, four taloned legs bent beneath its belly. Its head pointed down like a kestrel on the hunt. What is it? Ven muttered. Must be massive, Darl said with an awe-filled chuckle. Glad we're on the north side of the lake. Ven glanced at the thick tree line off to their left. Yeah, he said. But, he was about to say, what's waiting for us in there? When the section of deep, dark water off to their right paled momentarily at the surface, the unmistakable head of the Leviathan emerged from the deep, sank back down, and its body wheeled after it. Ven realized he was holding his breath. Do you think it's sauce? Darl whispered. We're too far out. Ven said and gripped the tiller. He steered them into the reeds. Watch out for those big water lizards, Darl said. Ven cursed and glanced around. He heard a long, low croak shoreward. 
When they came out of the reeds, near one of the lake's tendrilous offshoots, they could see the white back of the leviathan rippling along the shoreline, more or less matching their course in the deeper water. Now they slipped into dark water, walled at the shore by a low, shady cliff. The boughs of the trees stretched out overhead, high above, then peered down and cursed again. It's too deep here, he hissed. Darl stood watching the great serpent with a brooding scowl. It hasn't changed course, he muttered, but it's definitely following us. What's it waiting for? Ven said. He looked up at the tree limbs. Fresh leaves and vines hung down almost to the water's surface in some places. He looked out at the crags where that great beast circled. What, he wondered, might be lurking among these trees? He felt an icy dread raising the hairs on the back of his neck. Maybe it's not the shallow water that keeps it away, Darl said, craning his neck back to peer up at the foliage. You think it doesn't like the trees? No, Ben said. It doesn't like what might be hiding in them. Darl stared at him now for a long moment, eyes wide. He swallowed once and said, That's a scary thought. As soon as these words left his lips, Darl leapt sidewise with a shout as the water beside him exploded in white foam and teeth. The jaws of a water lizard snapped shut mere inches from Darl's teetering frame, clamping down on an unfortunate oar and splitting it in two. Ben watched helplessly, holding on to the rocking boat as the reptile rolled and slid back down into the depth it had emerged from. Simultaneously, Darl toppled backward into the water on the other side of the boat, sinking far below the surface. Ven couldn't have counted to three in the time that had passed. Now he sat alone on the violently rocking vessel. One splintered end of the broken oar bobbed to the surface behind the boat as it glided on. Then Darl whipped his head above water with a roar, eyes wide and gasping for breath. He was already several fathoms behind as well. Ben struggled with the sail while pushing hard on the tiller in an effort to come about. He could see the massive tail of the reptile propelling the beast toward Darl, just under the water. The creature's teeth grinned pale yellow. Darl saw it too. He howled with fear and rage. The grinning maw widened as it neared the big halfkin. Darl grasped the feeble oar floating next to him, filled his lungs, and dove underwater to meet the monster. A feeling of abject futility threatened to overwhelm Ben as he attempted to set course back to his brother. What chance did he have of rescuing Darl from his fate?
Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Weep Bar. Music help from the incomparable Mackenzie Stubbard. Please consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listened to it. You'll find more stories like this one at apweber.com. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. Thank you.